Hi there and welcome to Global Heart Church. Uh, I'm Jared Keane, the senior pastor, and wherever you are tuning in from around the world today, really, really hope and pray that in our planning of this message that it's going to really inspire you for the great journey that you are on and uh, for the great calling that you have in your own life. So enjoy the message and really pray that it's a blessing to you today. Okay, um, so... My name is Mark, and um, yes, I work at Tenacious House. I have the privilege of working there. It is a men's rehabilitation um, center. And yeah, I work there nine to five, and then God has me on this, this journey of, I suppose, being a pastor and helping to connect people with, with Jesus. So that's what I'm here to do um, today. I'm going to share a few scriptures. I'm going to share a little bit of, of my own journey, how I came to know Jesus. But really what I want to speak to you about today is the importance of the cross and keeping your eyes fixed upon what Jesus accomplished at the cross. At the end, then I'll give an invitation, a short prayer for you to be connected with Jesus or reconnected with Jesus if you don't already know him. And then finally, we'll have a little time of ministry afterwards. And if, hey, if you're sick, if you need prayer, if you need encouragement, come up, come up the front at the end. The team will be here. We'll be praying for you. We'll pray with you. And um, yeah, we're just here to support you in that. If that's okay say that's okay awesome okay so the title of my message today is a clear view of the cross what does the image of the cross mean to you the cross is the most recognizable symbol of christianity across the world billions of people um, identify their faith through the cross their religion their cultural identity and um, many wear a cross um, it's worn in jewelry necklaces it's on um, designs of clothes, people have the cross tattooed on their bodies. It's incorporated into the, f the flags of 28 nations or more. And it's the emblem and the sign of many organizations across the world. It's also engraved into innumerable headstones in cemeteries and graveyards. It's a symbol of religion, but it's also something associated with death or with remembrance. And um, we see it maybe in places at the side of the road where there's been, you know, a tragic car accident. Um, it's a symbol of great loss where sacrifice has been made, especially um, in relation to wars or battles that have taken place. So a quick, a quick trivia. Does anyone know where the world's tallest cross is? Any idea which country that's in? I didn't know either, don't worry. I didn't know until I, I googled it. Um, the world's tallest cross is located in um, a place called the Vale de los Quedos, and that's my best attempt at Spanish. It's called the Valley of the Fallen, and it's in Spain. The cross is over 150 meters tall, and it stands on a plinth of almost the same height, so it's really, really tall and can be seen from over 30 kilometers away. And it was built by General Franco, um, yeah, in the, in the late 50s and took 18 years to, to construct. So there you go. You learned something new um, this afternoon. Spain. Who would like to go to Spain? I'd love to go back to Spain. Air travel. Yes, <laughs> we, will, we will fly again, said Peter Pan. We will one day. <laughs> so churches all over the world, um, the cross is such a significant symbol. And um, we speak here about Jesus dying on the cross and it's the central part of the Christian faith. But I wanna ask you today, do you have a clear view of the cross? Do we really understand what took place um, when Jesus was crucified on the cross? What was it really all about? 
Because if we don't have a clear understanding and a clear view of the cross, we can become distracted, we can become caught up in opinions, we can be caught up um, with people, and things can get in our, our way and our view of what Jesus did on the cross. And that means we can miss out on God's best for our lives. So I'll set the scene for you from um, Luke chapter 23. Um, bit of background, Jesus has been handed over to the Roman authorities. Um, the Jewish leaders had asked, um, demanded that he be put on trial and then crucified. Um, Pontius Pilate, the, the, Roman, um, the Roman leader at that time um, in Jerusalem said um, he could find no wrong in Jesus. He could find no wrong in him, but he gave the Jewish leaders the choice and they chose to take back a murderer and have a murderer freed and have Jesus crucified. So at this point, Jesus has already been beaten. He's been scourged with whips by the Roman soldiers. He's been mocked and he's been pu publicly put on show. So in Luke um, chapter 23, verses 32 to 49, it says there was two others who were criminals. They were led away and they were put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, they, were crucif they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is Christ, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him that said, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who was hanging there reeled at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other one rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was about the sixth hour and there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour while the sun's um, light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus calling out with a loud voice says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God saying, certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle when they saw what had taken place returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Powerful, powerful scripture. And praise God, we know that three days later, Jesus um, came out of that grave. He had defeated death and he returned to heaven to be with the Father. Crucifixion was such an horrendous punishment. The physical pain and the torment and the devastation that it extolled on the body of the victim is hard to comprehend. There's a lot of historical material and there's a lot of medical evidence that you know goes into the aspects of the crucifixion and how hard it would have been for someone to go through that. And the movie, The Passion of the Christ, if you've ever saw that, it kind of goes some way to depict what Jesus would have suffered. Crucifixion was a form of punishment that was reserved um, for the worst criminals. It was so severe that um, Roman citizens themselves were not allowed to be um, crucified. It was only for a conquered people. Such a powerful image of what took place on the cross. And I wonder what those onlookers thought and understood about the scene that they just witnessed. We have the Roman soldiers and the authorities mocking Jesus, 
making fun of him, not really understanding what they were doing, perhaps just following orders, but also not seeing that Jesus was the Son of God, perhaps wondering what all the fuss was about with this one man. I'm sure they crucified people regularly. And we have the Jewish leaders with indignation putting Jesus to death for claiming to be the Messiah. In their view, he couldn't be the Messiah. Hanging up on a cross, no way. How could the Messiah, God's anointed, be subject to crucifixion? The Messiah to them represented power. He represented majesty, authority, victory, triumph. Crucifixion was the complete opposite. It was shameful, weakness, degradation, and defeat. Then we have his followers, those who traveled with him for three years, watching someone they loved, tormented, beaten, and dying. I'm sure they would have thought, could, could there be no other way? Could we have done something to stop this? Why did it have to end like this? And then we have the two criminals who were crucified with Jesus. One rejecting Jesus, mocking him with his own impending death, and the other, the criminal, fully aware of his own situation, asking Jesus to remember him. Both men in the same proximity to Jesus, but two very different responses and two very different outcomes. There's so much in all of that. The same cross, but so many different and distorted views. So we need to have a clear and an unobscured view of the cross. And to get the right perspective of what took place on the cross, we need to ask two questions. Who was on the cross and why? And the answer to the first question is quite simple. It was God on the cross. The creator of all things had come to earth in human form. Just think of that for a moment. God who created the sun, the moon, the stars, the earth, every molecule, every atom. He breathed, he breathed it out of his mouth. That's how big that God was. And he comes to earth and takes on human form. God the creator, who is a spirit, limits himself to the human body of Jesus. And then he goes about for 30 years, largely ignored by the very people he created. Limited in his physical body, he experienced the same things that you and I experience. He experienced thirst, hunger, tiredness, temptation. He walks around unknown. I thought it was today. Can you imagine it? Would Jesus have social media? Would he have been on TikTok going, I'm God, I'm God, look at me, look at me? I don't think so. He kept quiet until his last three years. And then he reveals himself and he reveals the mission that he's on the reason that he came to earth. And he's vilified by the Jewish religious leaders, the very people who claimed to follow God, abandoned by his closest followers. He's stripped, tortured, beaten, whipped, and finally humiliated in public through crucifixion, while all the time remaining innocent and sinless. So this is who was on the, this is who was on the cross. This is our Jesus who died for us. Why was he there? Simply put, Jesus was there to do for you and for I what we could not do for ourselves. To make atonement for our sins. There's no act, there's no sacrifice, there's no payment which you or I could make ourselves, to make ourselves acceptable or worthy of coming in front of a holy God, the creator of all things. In modern society, we've become so self-reliant, so independent, Mankind has such great capabilities we can accomplish almost anything. But no matter how capable we are, there's no way we can make ourselves right with God. 
There's no way to make amends for our sins. That can only be done by accepting that Jesus paid it all on the cross. I grew up in church till the ages of um, 15. I went to Sunday school every morning, or every Sunday morning. It was not good. I went to Sunday school every Sunday morning. <laughs> and um, then I chose to head off into the world, do my own thing, you know, make my own decisions. I didn't need church. I was right. I didn't need church. I did not need church. I didn't need the rules, the expectations, the religiousness of it all. And coming from Northern Ireland, Pastor Murray, you'll know this. Um, the political and the religious divide said that my Jesus was better than your Jesus. You know, I know Jesus better than you do. And I've got it right and you haven't. That was very, that was very off-putting. Very off-putting. I didn't need religion. I didn't need church. But I still needed Jesus. I still needed Jesus. I had a wrong view. I had a wrong view of the cross. It was religion. Do's and don'ts, regulations. I just wanted to be free and do my own thing. I didn't want to be hamstrung by religion. And after all, sure, I wasn't a bad fella, you know. I wasn't that bad when I compared myself to everyone else. <laughs> I wasn't that bad when I compared myself to the guy down the road. But when compared to the goodness and the holiness of God, I wasn't that good. None of us are. None of us are. Like everyone here, sin, bad choices, self-deception, it had all tainted my life. Then I got into my 30s and I had, uh, had a good run. I had a good run of doing it on my own and I made a right mess of things. And um, God in his mercy, he used a work colleague to come and um, point out my need for Jesus. And um, just a... Just a little side note to you. God uses people. He'll use people to come and speak to you. He'll, he'll use people to come and point you in the right direction. So don't, um, don't push them away. But very briefly, he sent this American guy to come. Um, and he worked in the place that I was working at. It was a very, very strange situation that only God could set it up. But this guy traveled like from here to Mandra and back again every day for a, for a minimum wage job for two years. Two years he was in my ear, um, encouraging me um, on, the, on, the, on the grace of God. Um, but he explained to me that, you know, Jesus was on, was on that cross um, to extend God's grace towards me. Grace, you know, that God loves us. He wants the best for us. Um, he doesn't want us to be tied to religious laws, duties, expectations. Or that somehow that, you know, I had to do something to earn the love of God. When I came to realize that my perspective of the cross was wrong, that my views of what Jesus had done for me, well, they all changed. Um, I saw my sinfulness and I knew that I had no way of fixing that by myself. But I also saw that God was graceful and he had extended that mercy to me through Jesus. I didn't get saved in a church service. I got saved on my own in the bathroom toilet at work on Monday morning <laughs> at 7.30. 7.30 in the morning on my own on the 12th of March, 2012. Like now, a complete and crumpled mess in tears because, because I had a realization that Jesus, the Son of God, he endured that cross and he did that to pay for my sin so that I could have forgiveness and freedom from the past 
and hope for the future. When I got my religious thinking out of the way, I got a clear view of the cross. When we've got an obscured view of the cross, nothing seems right. And, you know, you can have an obscured view of the cross before you become a Christian, but you can have an obscured view of the cross after you become a Christian. You know, we can start to think um, too highly of ourselves and we lose, we lose view of the cross. I like to think of myself as wise. My wife agrees with me only because I chose to marry her. I don't know where she's at, she's gone. Therefore, it's true, she agrees. I've been called wise by the people that I work with, and I've also been called many other things by them, no doubt. But, but my view of myself and your view of yourself, it can get in the way of the correct view of the cross because we can take away from what Christ achieved. We can begin to think and get overconfident in our own ability. 1 Corinthians 1 verses 17, as Paul speaking, he says this, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom. Get this, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Man, our wisdom can empty the cross of its power. Isn't that, isn't that something just, yeah. We can think of ourselves clever, wise, confident in our own abilities, and think great of our achievements to the point where it becomes more about us than it does about Jesus. Saying the right things, having all the right theological arguments, acting in a certain way, dressing in a certain way. Our opinion of ourselves can get in the way and work against what Jesus has already done. And we can forget where God found us and our brokenness. One of the greatest challenges is self-righteousness. We can say to ourselves, I'm doing all these things for God now. I'm developing myself. There's an expectation that I have favor with God now because of all the things I've done for him. Wasn't God really, really lucky the day he saved me? He got me on his side. Look at all the things that I'm doing for him now. Listen, Christ still had to die for the sins you and I did this morning. Whether you're a Christian or not. In Romans 5 verses 6 to 11, it said, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We were all enemies of God. But even then, even in our sin, Jesus died, had died for us. In our sinful, rebellious state, to make a way for us to come into right standing with God, and Jesus' death made payment for the just penalty of our sin. Jesus didn't just pay the price for our past sins. He's covered the ones that we haven't done yet, the ones that we have yet to commit. He paid for the past, the present, and the future, all covered, all atoned for through the cross. That's freedom. That's freedom 
because it doesn't depend one bit on what you or I do for God. It's already been done. It's self-righteousness when we say, I'm a good person. I don't do bad things. Therefore, I don't need Jesus. Or Jesus was a good person. He was a good man. He was a good teacher. But you know, humanity has come a long way since the first and second century. We're a lot better now. Look how much we push for equality now. Look how kind we are to one another. And science, you know, science is our God. It has answered all our questions. Continuing on, 1 Corinthians uh, verses 18 to, to 25. It says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is he who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debtor of this age? Has not God made foolishness the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks demand wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block for Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness, of, the weakness of God is stronger than men. We must never forget how completely lost and without hope, powerless and adrift at sea mankind really is without Jesus' death on the cross. Mankind claims to have come so far, yet we're more confused, more medicated, and more disillusioned than ever. We can obscure our view from the cross when we try to add on to what's already been done. My wife, she loves maths. She's a bit of a maths genius. Anything to do with numbers lights up, lights up her eyes. And um, I'm not wired that way. I can count. I can count. I take my shoes off. I can count, but I'm no mathematician. <laughs> Leslie tried to explain to me one time this concept of um, imaginary numbers and um, how they're needed to do different, difficult, difficult calculations. You'll get this weird. Yeah, you agree. I have no clue what you're on about. Imaginary numbers all over my head. But there's another... Um, mathematical anomaly um, when we look at the cross and um, anything we add subtracts anything we add to what Jesus did on the cross subtracts Jesus made a once and for all atonement we don't need to add anything else God does not demand that we do anything to make payment for our sins we simply can't we can only accept what Jesus did. Religiousness is an offense to God because it takes away from the work done at the cross. What does religiosity look like? Well, when we say, I know Jesus died on the cross for my sins, but now I need to do, I need to pray five times a day. I need to go to church four times over the weekend to top up. I need to live my life more holy. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. Don't get me wrong. You know, and like I'm sure Gary or the media team, they've been at all four services this weekend and, you know, God bless you media team and God bless everybody who serves in God's house. You know, we really appreciate you. But people should serve God and try to live better lives out of a devotion to God as a response to his love, not to make themselves more accepted by God, 
God already accepts you. If you accepted Jesus Christ's atoning sacrifice, you're already accepted by God. Love and devotion to God comes from having a clear view of what happened on the cross, knowing that Jesus died for our sin and that he has rescued us from the penalty for that sin, which is death and eternal separation from God. In Hebrews 10, verses 12 to 18, it said, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for the time when his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Paul had to battle with religiosity in the early church. It was creeping into the new um, converts of Galatia and in the other churches as well in the form of them returning back to legalism and to the act of circumcision. But that wasn't just then. Religiosity can be alive and well in the church today. It just takes different forms. Paul dealt with it this way. In Galatians 3, verses 1 to 5, it says, O you foolish and thoughtless and superficial Galatians. Talk about starting a letter off in a, a welcoming manner. If you read it in the message, it actually says, O you crazy Galatians. He doesn't hold back. He's going at them. He said, Who has bewitched you that you would act like this? To whom, right before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified in the gospel message. This is all I want to ask you. Did you receive the Holy Spirit as a result of obeying the requirements of the law? Or was it the result of hearing the message of salvation and with faith believing it? Are you so foolish and senseless, having begun your new life by faith that the Spirit with the Spirit, are you now being perfected and reaching spiritual maturity by the flesh? That is, by your own works and efforts to keep the law. Have you suffered so many things and experienced so much all for nothing, if indeed it was all for nothing? So then, he who, supply, he who supplies you with his marvelous Holy Spirit and works miracles among you, do it as a result of the works of the do it as a result of the works of the law which you perform or because you believe confidently in the message which you heard with faith. We're saved by responding to the gospel message, not by meeting any laws or requirements or acts of duty or religiosity. There's no KPIs with Christ. There's no key performance indicators. It's done. It's finished. It's paid in full. We only have to receive what Jesus has already done by faith. We don't add anything to it. When we look to the cross, do we see the beautiful exchange that was offered? It was an exchange where we bring nothing but our brokenness, our guilt, 
our shame and our sin, our bad choices, and we hand them to Jesus. And in return, Jesus has reached out his arm and his hands, and he offers us his righteousness, his holiness, his acceptance, his healing. And when we accept that, we can move forwards in life knowing that we are in right standing with God. We can approach him, we can come to him with our needs, we can come to him for healing, and we can come to him in boldness and with confidence. And he is everything we need. And we know that he will accept us, and we know that he loves us because of what Jesus has done. Thank you so much for joining us online today. Really great to have you with us and special thanks to those also who give online. Your generosity is making the way for others to hear the message of Jesus both here in Australia and around the world. If you enjoyed today's message, I'd love to encourage you to share this message with a friend, a workmate, a family member. And let's believe together that it will powerfully impact their life for good in Jesus' name. If you're unable to be with us at one of our church locations, uh, both here in Australia and around the world, please join us online every Sunday for Global Heart at Home on YouTube. God bless and have a great week.